there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And it's 2021. Yay! Thank God. It's a new year, and we are starting it off strong with a new monthly film series here on Shoot the Flick. Yes, we have moved on from the Star Wars. Oh, yes. I'm very, very excited about this. This is one of my favorite franchises ever. I love the books. I love the movies. I've seen and read them all multiple times. It's Harry Potter, guys. We are starting off with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, released in 2001. Now, the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone? It depends where you live. Ah, I see. I say Sorcerer's Stone because that's what I know. Before we get into this movie... I did want to address kind of the elephant in the room in regards to the Harry Potter franchise, and that is J.K. Rowling. We here at Shoot the Flick do in no way, shape, or form condone any of the horrible comments that J.K. Rowling has said about trans individuals. Uh, I personally think it's ridiculous and despicable. There is this theory, notion, whatever you want to call it, called death of the author, which basically means an author's work is meant to be separated from the author itself. Once the work is out there in the public, it belongs to them, essentially. If you don't believe in that, I completely understand. If you feel that you can't watch Harry Potter, read Harry Potter anymore, I get it. Me personally, it's been such a huge part of my childhood and I still love it, especially in regards to the movies. So many talented people were a part of making these movies and bringing these characters to life. It feels wrong to discard all of that awesomeness just because J.K. Rowling's an asshole. So what I would say is if you're someone who is maybe interested in reading the books for the first time or interested in watching the movies, but you don't want to give your money to J.K. Rowling, I totally get that. And I agree. If I didn't already own all of the movies and all of the books, (laughs) I probably would feel the exact same way. So what I would suggest is find a friend, find a buddy old pal that you can uh, borrow the books from or borrow the, the movies from. So if you're out there and you know me personally and you want to borrow a Harry Potter book or Harry Potter flick, feel free to let me know and I will gladly do that so you don't have to give J.K. Rowling your fucking money. We will gladly take your money. No, sorry. (laughs) No. Oh, no, sorry. I'm offering my services for free. Sorry. So, yeah, I I just wanted to get that out there. No, and we definitely should mention it. What she's done and now doubled down on and probably tripled down on is wrong. Trans people deserve to have their lives just like everybody fucking else does, and she can go fuck herself. So with that being said, we're going to talk about Harry Potter, guys. I'm like a little kid at Christmas. I'm so excited. Yeah, so when I was younger, because of course, when Harry Potter came out, we were we were actually about close to their age. Yeah, it's similar to Toy Story, where like we kind of grew up with the characters. Yeah, so I read the first three books, and I've seen the... F- first four movies now i stopped reading the books because a uh classmate of ours not me (laughs) not 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 frankie came up and spoiled the entire book for me yeah fun fact a similar thing happened to me with the final book 
I was like starting to read the final book and then it got spoiled and I just stopped reading it. And then I didn't read it for the first time until like years later. Don't you hate it when that happens? <laughs> so the first movie, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, was directed by Chris Columbus. He was picked specifically because of his experience working with child actors. He directed such films as Mrs. Doubtfire and Home Alone 1 and 2. But there, there were several other directors that were considered for this film, including Terry Gillum, Steven Spielberg, Rob Reiner, who did Princess Bride, yes. Ivan Reitman, Ghostbusters, yeah. Jonathan Demme, who did uh, Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia, a little more dramatic than maybe we were looking for, and uh, M. Night Shyamalan. What? No. Okay. Uh, 2001, he, he's still yeah, not... Yeah, he, he was still riding the wave, I think. Yeah, we hadn't turned on him yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have the writer of the film, Mr. Steve Close, who wrote the scripts for most of the Harry Potter movies. This movie was huge at the time of its release. It was the highest grossing film of 2001. It received three Oscar nominations. It was nominated for Art Direction and costume design, losing both of which to Scott's favorite movie, Moulin Rouge. And it was also nominated for score. Now let's talk about the fucking score. Yeah. It was done by the amazing, the incomparable John Williams. This is a score I know very well. Every time one of the movies came out, I was an orchestra kid as well. We played the score. It's a fun score. That and the Pirates of the Caribbean score are both very fun. He lost the Oscar, though, to Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So what are you going to do there, I guess? But fun fact, a man by the name of James Horner was tapped at first to do the score. He's the man behind such films as Titanic and uh, Avatar. Yeah, he's, he's really good. But he declined. Well, that was a mistake. I'm sorry, James. You made a mistake there. But I think it all worked out for the best because John Williams came up with an incredibly memorable whimsical and beautiful fucking score for this film yeah and even when he stopped technically doing the scores for every movie certain themes that he did in these first few movies that he was a part of carried over throughout the whole franchise of course because it's just so iconic like how can you not so scott before we get into the nitty-gritty how exactly did you feel re-watching sorcerer's stone it's a fun movie. I still enjoy it. It's it's still fun. Most of the games that involved the first couple, I've played them. They were fun games. They were fun worlds. It's funny because Ron talks about collecting wizard cards from the chocolate frogs. Mm-hmm. And in every game, that's one of the collectibles. You try and get all the fucking wizard cards. Ah. And it was always annoying because there was always like two or three you couldn't fucking find. <laughs> I know it got darker as the series went along, but you could tell this first one is kind of kiddie, but still a fun kiddie movie. Yes. This one's definitely the lightest of the series. It's definitely the most whimsical, but it also still does have some kind of dark stuff in it. At least, you know, it's dark for kids. So yeah, let's let's get into this thing. We begin on a dark street. And we meet an old man with a billowing white beard 
Dumbledore, Albus Dumbledore. He is. Played by Richard Harris. Fun fact, there was another distinguished gentleman actor considered for the there role was. that you are quite familiar with, Scott. I am quite familiar with this. Mr. Alec Guinness was considered for the role of Dumbledore, and if you don't know who that is by the name, it is the gentleman who played Mr. Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original Star Wars trilogy. But unfortunately, he passed away before filming, so that w- never came to be. But it would have been pretty freaking hilarious if Obi-Wan Kenobi was also Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> so... We, we meet Dumbledore, and we also meet a female witch by the name of Minerva McGonagall, played by Maggie Smith, and she's a badass bitch. Yeah, she's initially a cat. Actually, that's probably one of the coolest shots I like in the movie, when they show the shadow on the wall change from a cat into McGonagall. Yes. They do McGonagall transforming twice in this movie. Mm-hmm. It looks a lot better here well, than yeah, it does the second time. Because the second time they actually show her like anamorph from a cat into a person. And it's like, oh, okay. Uh, we should probably say now, the CGI in this movie, there is quite a bit of it. And it's not... It's not terrible. No, it's not, it's not terrible. I've definitely seen worse Especially- from 2001. Oh, yeah. But it's also not great yeah there are moments where you're like oh yeah i really believe that's on screen yeah but to be fair you still say shit like that today so i mean that's true what are you gonna do but anyway so we meet dumbledore mcgonagall and last but not least rubius hagrid who is a giant giant man flying in on a motorcycle and he's played by robbie coltrane he is carrying on this flying motorcycle a wee baby who is our titular Harry Potter. And their purpose for being there is that they are all dropping Harry off on their family member's doorstep, the Dursleys. Yes, this is one of Albus Dumbledore's greatest mistakes. Um, I, no, that's not true. It it is, it is one of his greatest mistakes. It's not, we're not going to fight about this. Oh, we are going to fight about this. We're really not, because um, there is a reason for it. To Um, torture a poor child for... 11 years <laughs> there's a reason for it scott okay it's difficult to explain <laughs> i don't want to fucking give away the ghost right now just go on this journey okay just follow the yellow brick road mcgonagall basically says to dumbledore what scott is saying um, should we really be leaving this baby here with these people? They are horrible. <laughs> Thank you, Minerva. But Dumbledore is like, nope, this is where he has to stay. They drop him off. You see the little baby has a little lightning scar upon his forehead. Ah. And they just leave him on the doorstep with the letter and say, bye, see you in 10 years. <laughs> and then that's, yeah, they- that's our cold open. Yeah, they don't even knock. Like, fuck. At least when Daisy got left on the doorstep of that firehouse, they at least knocked. Are we really comparing this to the Super Mario Brothers movie? Is that what we're doing? Yes. <sighs> God damn it, Scott. <laughs> All right, so 10 years later, the little bebe has turned into a 10-year-old Daniel Radcliffe. It doesn't really become apparent that these quote-unquote kids aren't kids anymore until... 
movie further three. into the yeah further into the series and then you're like i don't think you're 14 sir <laughs> so it's dudley dursley's birthday dudley is harry's cousin he also has an uncle vernon and an aunt petunia who names their kid petunia that's a name it's a flower i guess petunia that's just asking for your kid to be an annoyance Oh, that's so mean. We immediately realize that Dudley and pretty much all the Dursleys are cunts. <laughs> they make Harry live under the staircase. Yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> and I kept going to Frankie during this whole beginning part. I'm like, where is CPS? He Doesn't he go to elementary school? He goes what? to public school, Scott. They don't give a shit. <laughs> We're celebrating Dudley's birthday. He's a spoiled little brat. He... <laughs> bitches and moans that he only got 36 presents this year instead of 37 like last year and they're planning on taking Dudley and Harry to the zoo and Dudley is trying to wake up the snake in the little enclosure because the snake is not about this bullshit habitat life. This is for everybody. Zoo animals don't respond to you they're living their own fucking lives don't fucking tap on the goddamn glass a psa from scott eisenberg when dudley gets bored and walks away harry is chilling with the snake and he just kind of starts talking to it not really expecting anything in response but just talking to it he realizes that the snake kind of responds to him it acknowledges him and he doesn't really think this is too weird he just kind of continues the conversation (laughs) like it's a normal thing like they're just having a spot of tea Dudley sees that the snake is up and about so he pushes Harry down to the floor and he looks at Dudley and he's like pissed off and then all of a sudden you see the glass disappear and Dudley fall into the snake enclosure (laughs) and as he falls in the snake slithers out And as the snake is slithering away out into the grand, wide-open world, the snake looks at Harry and says, Thanks. And Harry's just like, Oh, yeah, no problem. And then the snake goes. (laughs) Vernon is very suspicious of this. And when they get home, he's like, What happened? What, What was that about at the zoo? And he's like, I don't know. It was just like magic. And Vernon's like, There's no such thing as magic. Why do you gotta be so rude? <laughs> Don't you know I'm human? Sorry, okay. <laughs> oh, I get it, because that's magic. <laughs> the group's called magic. I get it. Okay. <laughs> we cut to an owl flying through the air with the greatest of ease. Owls really do look majestic. They really do, although they are terrifying in real life. I, I'm scared of all birds. Uh And I've seen an owl in real life, and it scared the shit out of me. I thought it was going to take my fucking head off when it swooped. It swooped. Don't look at me like that, Scott, okay? It swooped. (laughs) It swooped right by my head. I thought it was going to decapitate me. (laughs) I had a traumatic experience with an owl. (laughs) The owl. Hey, owls don't decapitate people. (laughs) It It probably was swooping at a squirrel that was near you. You don't know. You weren't there. Anyway, this owl, <laughs> this owl in the movie, was flying through the air with the greatest of ease. Harry goes to get the mail at the house, 
and he sees a letter addressed to him and he tries to hide it from the Dursleys but Dudley grabs the letter and gives it to his father and Vernon's like oh this is nothing this is this is garbage rubbish who would be writing to you anyway but then you see over the ensuing days multiple letters start flying into the house in an effort to be delivered to Harry but every time Vernon cuts them off at the pass one day the flu to the the fireplace bursts open and a bunch of fucking letters shoot out of the fireplace and it's a really cute shot where all the letters are flying everywhere and Harry's trying to grab it and I'm laughing the whole time because Harry's trying to reach and he can't grab one I'm like dude there's like 300 on the floor Harry almost grabs one but unfortunately before he can get into his crawl space to read it Vernon grabs him and he starts screaming, we're going to go away where no one can find us. And <laughs> Dudley is one of the funniest line reads in the movie. Dudley's gone mad, hasn't he? And they travel off to, I, I know you're not going to get this reference, but it looks like the fucking lighthouse from Bioshock. I'm like, why would you choose a remote fucking island with a lighthouse? How did you even get to rent out the lighthouse? Also, what's Vernon's job that he can suddenly rent a lighthouse? They don't mention it in the movies, but in the books, I believe he works for like a wrench factory or something. A wrench factory. Well, he's a blubbering, boring mess. So yeah, he works in a boring wrench factory <laughs> well interesting people can work in boring places hell ash from the evil dead works in smart true so they're on this island it's turning midnight and we learn that it's harry's 11th birthday he's like drawing a birthday cake for himself in the sand it's very sad <laughs> he's saying happy birthday to himself and then as the clock strikes midnight the door to their little shack bursts open and who just happens to be standing there but Hagrid. Yes, all eight foot six of Rubius Hagrid. Yes, and we get the iconic scene where he is explaining things about magic and whatnot and he says to our boy Harry, You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? Hagrid explains several things to Harry, including he has been accepted into the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry run by Albus Dumbledore. And he also explains, because he calls the Dursleys muggles, the iconic term muggles is introduced for the first time, which means non-magical folk. And after Haggard explains all of this Mishigas to Harry, he's like, hey, let's get out of here. And he just points his magical umbrella at Dudley, turning his butt into a pig's tail well, <laughs> because he's a little piggy eating Harry's birthday cake. That Hagrid brought for him that he sat on. And then he just takes Harry and pieces out. <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious because he leaves Dudley with this pig's tail. <laughs> In the book, they explain that later on they have to take Dudley to like a plastic surgeon to get it removed. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Oh boy. Because they don't address that in the movie. It's just like, oh, okay, let's go. Let's go do wizard things and leave this child deformed. <laughs> so Hagrid takes Harry to 
a magical place called Diagon Alley, which is basically like a wizard's marketplace. But before they get there, they have to go into the adjoining bar called the Leaky Cauldron. And Hagrid and Harry meet several bar patrons, including uh, a gentleman by the name of Quirrell, played by Ian Hart, who is the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor at Hogwarts. One of the many. Yes. Well, we'll get there when we get to the other movies. But what we establish when they go into the bar is that Harry is famous. All these bar patrons are like, oh, welcome back, Mr. Potter. Oh, it's Harry Potter. Oh, my goodness. And Harry, when they leave, he goes to Hagrid and he's like, um, what the fuck was that? (laughs) And every time Hagrid ends up dropping a little more here and there. Yes, Hagrid is infamous, particularly in this movie, for just revealing shit inadvertently even though he's not supposed to it's uh, kind of like a running gag they go into Diagon Alley Harry's like Hagrid I have to buy all this stuff for Hogwarts like I have to buy a a cauldron and robes and a a wand but like I don't have any money so like what do I do and Hagrid's like don't you worry about that Harry we're gonna go to Gringotts the wizard's bank and they go to the wizard bank They meet the goblins that run the bank and they're kind of nasty, but they get the job done and they go to the Potter Bank vault and they open the vault and there's a shit ton of money in there. He's rich, bitch. (laughs) Yeah, Hagrid's like, what, you didn't think your parents wouldn't have left you with nothing, did you? So they, they get a bunch of money for Harry so he can buy his school supplies. And then Hagrid says to the head goblin, hey, I gotta go to this other vault to get something for Hogwarts business quote-unquote it's very secret hush hush kind of stuff the goblins like okie dokie let's go do 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 and they go to this other vault and they pick up this very small package very mysterious Hagrid just grabs the thing stuffs in his pocket and off they go Harry says he has to get a wand so he goes over to Ollivander's to get his wand while Haggard goes off and he's got to do something else. Ollivander himself is played by John Hurt, who we talked about recently on this podcast when we discussed Alien. He was the guy who had the alien a bursting out of his chest. Yes, he did. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, no. Not again. And in this franchise, he plays kind of a wacky looking old man who is in charge of picking out the right wands for these Hogwarts kids. Ollivander finds this one specific wand and he brings it to Harry and it kind of just all clicks. You know, the, the lights go up and the score sings and it's a whole big Jesus moment. Yes, basically. And Ollivander's like, hmm, that's interesting. Hmm. Ollivander tells Harry, this wand is made with a phoenix feather. The phoenix that made this wand only made one other wand. And that wand was used by the person that killed Harry's parents and gave him his scar. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. Harry's like, well, who is this person? And Ollivander's like, we dare not speak his name. He did great things. Terrible things, but great. So now that Harry's got his wand, Hagrid comes back and he reveals that he bought Harry a birthday present. 
Hedwig, ah. his beautiful white snowy owl. Yes. Hagrid ends up telling Harry about the man that killed his parents. He reveals that the wizard's name is Voldemort. Ah. He was a wizard that went bad and killed anyone who got in the way of him getting power, who, who unfortunately included Harry's parents. And he also reveals when Voldemort killed Harry's parents, for whatever reason, when Voldemort tried to kill Harry, he couldn't do it. And he only left his scar behind, his lightning scar. So this is this is a lot for an 11-year-old. <laughs> Who just found out magic was real under 24 hours ago. Yes, which makes what happens next kind of peculiar. Uh, Hagrid basically is walking Harry to the train station. And he's like, okay, well, here's your ticket. Um, the train leaves in 10 minutes. Okay, bye. <laughs> and then leaves. And Harry's looking at his train ticket. And he's like, wait, um, this ticket says platform nine and three quarters. That's not a thing. And then he looks up and Hagrid's gone. <laughs> Which is impressive for an eight foot tall man to just right. vanish. <laughs> but you brought up a good point. Harry, he's completely new to this. Why can't you just walk him to the train? <laughs> yeah, he has to get back to Hogwarts, theoretically. So, like, aren't you going the same way? <laughs> He's got to get back to Hogwarts where people think he's cool. I got to get back to Hogwarts. <laughs> I got to get back to school. I got to get myself to Hogwarts where everyone thinks I'm cool. In case you don't know, there is a Harry Potter musical that was There's created three of them. by the Star Kid Company. If you don't know what that is, look it up on YouTube. Darren Chris is Harry Potter and he's amazing. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Harry's confused. He doesn't know where to go. But suddenly he hears a older redheaded woman go, oh, there's always so many muggles. Yeah, so he starts following this redheaded woman who is also surrounded by a bunch of redheaded kids. Follow, follow the redheads. Follow, <laughs> follow the redheads. And uh, these are obviously the Weasleys. The redheaded older woman, Molly Weasley helps Harry get to platform nine and three quarters, which basically is just you walk into the wall between platforms nine and ten and you get to the Hogwarts Express. Yeah, and she also introduces Harry to Ron. Ron Weasley, Harry's best friend, played by Rupert Grint. Who just had a kid. Congratulations. Oh, that's nice. Now I feel old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they get on the train... And Harry and Ron are bonding. We also meet Hermione on the train. She's played by, obviously, Emma Watson. And uh, she's a prissy little bitch. (laughs) That is true. We finally get to Hogwarts. And uh, we get a beautiful shot of Hogwarts in the dark, all lit up. It's really nice. Yeah, it's honestly one of my favorite shots in the movie of them, like, coming in on the boats and... The shot of Dark Castle. It's a cool looking shot. It really is. It definitely builds up the whimsy for the audience. Because, I mean, at this point, you're so invested in Harry because he really is kind of like the audience's fantasy fulfillment character. Yeah, he's a little bit of a blank slate for us to uh, 
place ourselves in that role. Yes. As once we get into the later movies, there definitely is more development. But for the most part, yeah, you're meant to kind of project yourself onto him, which is fine. I mean, especially as a kid, you know, you you look at Harry and you you want to be like Harry. It's kind of similar to I would, uh, you know, to compare it to Star Wars. It's similar to Luke or Leia or Han. Like, well, I was gonna say he, he's more like Neo from the Matrix because Neo was a blank slate kind of a character too. Well, Luke is kind of a blank slate character I in guess. the beginning. In the beginning, let's yeah. be real. So the kids get in the castle. They meet McGonagall, and she proceeds to tell the kids, okay, we're going to have the opening ceremony for the year, but before we do that, you have to get sorted into your houses. There's Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, and Slytherin. <laughs> she says Slytherin with a little evil in her voice, which makes sense because, you know, Slytherin be evil. I have a big issue classifying. Oh, jeez. Okay. Before they go in for the sorting hat ceremony, we meet two other students. Neville Longbottom, who is the cutest little nerd boy you ever did meet. We also meet Draco Malfoy, played by Tom Felton. And he is a little cunt. (laughs) Yes. He basically says to Harry, he's like, I am from a good wizarding family. These Weasleys over here they are consorting with, they are from a dirty, bleh, wizarding family. You must pick the right family to hang out with, Potter. And Harry's like, you, sir, can go fuck yourself. So now the kids are going into the Great Hall, which is a really beautifully looking set piece. It's this really long dining hall. The ceiling is all like a dark starry sky with these candles hanging midair. It's very cool looking and it's very loyal to the book. The kids get sorted into their houses. Harry, Neville... Ron and Hermione all get sorted into Gryffindor, which is the house of bravery and courage. And uh, Draco, obviously, because he's evil, gets sorted into Slytherin. Now, I feel like Slytherin gets a bad rap. It does, because every evil wizard in creation came out of Slytherin house. I feel like that shouldn't be the case, because you can't just like, oh, just the bad guys are in one house, and that's it. I feel like what should have been done to make it a more complex story is yes Slytherin gets a bad rap because the most evil wizard came from there yes but that doesn't mean everybody from Slytherin should automatically be a villain Uh, I get what you're saying but I definitely wouldn't say that every Slytherin is evil that's not the case but the vast majority of evil wizards have come from Slytherin house so Frankie let's take the time right now since we've both done the Pottermore quiz what house were you sorted into? I was Gryffindor. And I was a puff. Aw, you're a puff. I feel like, I mean, I was sorted into Gryffindor, but I feel like I definitely have some puff in me as well. Like, if I'm asked, I'll usually say I'm a Gryffin puff. Yeah, I'm probably a Raven puff. But yeah, it, do- it definitely does make me feel good that I'm in the same house as Harry freaking Potter. I enjoy that. <laughs> I-, I like finding things. <laughs> So after everyone gets sorted into their houses, Dumbledore gives his opening speech in which he gives us two very important bits of information. Number one being that 
the Dark Forest, which is the neighboring forest right outside the grounds of Hogwarts, is off limits to the students. It's full of evil and creatures and fuckery. Hence the Dark Forest. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't get it by the name, what the fuck are you doing? And also, Dumbledore tells us that the third floor corridor of the school is out of bounds for anyone, quote, that doesn't want to die a most painful death. <laughs> so he's making it pretty clear. <laughs> that you die here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to look it up at one point. I looked it up in the middle of the movie. I'm like, so how many people die on average a year at Hogwarts? It's got to be at least two. Well, it's not like... A normal thing for people to die at the school. Injuries are abounds, I'm sure, but deaths are kind of more rare, I would think. But you have evil forests, you have spiders, you have yes, but you also dragons, have free-headed dogs. You also have several professors and like geniuses in their magical fields to protect the kids. So we we have some more whimsical stuff thrown at us like the the twisting stairs every staircase moves and twists around in different directions we see the talking paintings and then we go into the classrooms and stuff and we see harry and ron and hermione go into a potions class led by professor server snape Played by Alan motherfucking Rickman. Two movies in a row, motherfucker. One of his most well-known roles, most iconic. Yeah, it's either this or Hans. Yeah, he's absolutely amazing. I mean, we talked about him when we talked about Die Hard, how amazing he is, and this role is no exception. He gives off this very slinky, brooding... Not to be like a negative on this word, but he might, he seems a little more theatrical. Yes, that's a perfect word for it, actually. Definitely. I mean, there's points in the movie where he's he turns to speak to someone and you can practically hear his head go swoosh as he turns like dramatically to face the person he's talking to. And his his yeah. his voice, too. We have to talk about his voice. It's so deep and just haunting. Mr. Potter, our new celebrity. We establish immediately that he just likes to fuck with Harry because Harry is Harry. <laughs> like, for some reason, we don't realize why yet, but for some reason, he just fucking hates this little kid. <laughs> so we cut to the next day, and the kids are sitting in the dining hall, and a bunch of owls swoop into the room for mail call. A bunch of packages drop into the kids' laps, and Neville... Our buddy Neville, he gets a, a package from his grandmother and it's a Remembrall, which is a device. It's just a little ball. And when you've forgotten something, the ball turns red. She got it for him because he's a doofus who forgets shit all the time. We never learn what he actually forgets. Yeah, yeah. the, th the ball, the second he touches it, it turns red. And he's like, I don't remember what I've forgotten. <laughs> and also... Ron gets a package and in it is the like daily newspaper or whatever wizard newspaper and Harry's reading it and he reads an article saying that the vault that Hagrid had gone into to get the secret package in the beginning it had been broken into 
But of course, nothing was stolen because Hagrid had taken this magical parcel out. But Harry's like, hmm, that's where we were at. That's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Next, we cut to the kids' first flying lesson. The teacher is walking around showing the kids how to fly on their magical broomsticks because, you know, witches and wizards fly on broomsticks. Ah. That's the tea. And uh, Harry and Draco Malfoy both take to their brooms very easily. But of course, Neville being Neville, he immediately gets injured <laughs> and the teacher has to take him off to the nurse's wing. Meanwhile, Draco picks up Neville's remember all that he dropped and starts making fun of Neville and Harry walks over to him and is like, give me the fucking ball, you asshole, and shut the fuck up about Neville. And Malfoy's like, mm, no, I'm not going to do that. And he f- takes his broom and he flies up into the sky. He's like, come get it, Potter. <laughs> and Harry, without even thinking, gets on the broom and he flies up there. And he's like, what? <laughs> they have a little scuffle. So Malfoy launches the ball and Harry flies, catches it just before it hits a building. But he, of course, doesn't notice that McGonagall's watching him through the window. Yes, and she storms out there and is like, Harry Potter, come with me. And Harry immediately thinks he's getting expelled and he's going to have to go back to the Dursleys like, oh no, my life is over. But instead, McGonagall goes into another classroom and absconds with one of the kids named Oliver Wood, who's an older kid. He happens to be captain of the Quidditch team. What's Quidditch? Harry doesn't know, but we're going to find out shortly. McGonagall pulls Oliver Wood aside and she tells him, Wood, I found you a seeker. Ah. Now, a seeker is a specific type of player on a Quidditch team. That makes the whole game irrelevant. We'll get to that. Hermione mentions to Harry that being a seeker is in his blood because... They go over to this trophy case in the hallway and they see a trophy naming James Potter, who's Harry's dad, as a seeker. So that's kind of cool. Like Harry gets to connect with his father doing something that he used to do in his old school days. It's cute. Papa, Papa, can you hear me? (laughs) Can you hear me pray anything I'm saying, even though the night is filled with voices? No, he can't. He's dead. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, anyway, so we have our, our trio here and they're walking along. They somehow get turned around with all these magical stairs and they get lost and they end up on the third floor where they're not supposed to be. As they're walking around in this restricted area, they come upon Argus Filch, basically the head janitor of Hogwarts. So the, the three of them are running and they get into this locked room to hide away from Filch and as they're hiding they notice that behind them is this giant three-headed motherfucking CGI dog (laughs) named Fluffy (laughs) and Fluffy is very big and very scary and very slobbery and before this dog can kill these small children (laughs) they escape and run away and they go back to their Gryffindor common room and as they are retiring, Hermione's like, didn't you see that that dog was standing on a trap door? Like, it's clearly guarding something. That's why it's here. So maybe we should just, you know, stay the fuck out of there from now on. 
And Hermione comes out with one of the more iconic trailer lines from this movie. If you two don't mind, I'm going to bed before either of you come up with another clever idea to get us killed. Or worse, expelled. After that uh, exciting scene, we cut to Oliver Wood explaining Quidditch to Harry. I'm going to do my best to explain it very quickly. The whole game is played on broomsticks up in the air. There's three types of balls. The first one is the biggest one called the quaffle. The object is to get the quaffle into these little hoops in the sky. Every time they do that, it's worth 10 points. There's also these other balls called bludgers. They're basically little Rottweiler type balls that are enchanted to like attack people essentially and try to get them off balance certain players their goal is to keep those balls at bay and keep them away from their people and the most important ball in the game is called the golden snitch and it's basically the size of like a golf ball except it's gold and it's got little angel wings and that's the ball that harry is concerned with the ball is enchanted to just flit about to everywhere and anywhere and harry being the seeker he has to catch it to end the game. Catching that ball automatically wins their team 150 points, which is why Scott says that's really the only important ball in the game and everything else is irrelevant, which there is a sound argument for that. <laughs> Unless you score 16 goals with the quaffle before the snitch is caught, the snitch wins every time. Yes, the addition of Quidditch is cool because... It gives the movie an excuse to have sports sequences, which is fun. Like, yeah. Even in this, they have a, a Quidditch game sequence, and it is very entertaining. It is. After that little Quidditch lesson, we cut to another class. This is the iconic Leviosa, not Leviosa scene, where Ron and Hermione are actually trying to levitate a little feather and Ron's fucking it up because, you know, Ron. And Hermione's like, oh, no, 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 I can do it better. Because, you know, Hermione. She succeeds in levitating the little feather and gets gold stars. And when they are leaving the class, Ron is talking shit about Hermione, about how much of a priss and an asshole she is. Hermione overhears them talking about her and is very hurt. She ends up storming past them, crying and spends the rest of the night crying in the girl's bathroom which as a former tween girl with lots of tween angst i i can relate <laughs> so while all the other kids are eating dinner in the great hall we suddenly get quirrell bursting into the room in the dungeon in the dungeon thought you ought to know and all the kids immediately freak the fuck out and it was funny because Scott was like, oh, my God, can, can we can all these teachers get these kids under control? And as soon as he said that, Dumbledore stands up and he's like, silence, <laughs> do not panic. <laughs> we are the greatest wizards in the goddamn world. By the way, why does a school have a dungeon? For reasons. I don't know. <laughs> because Harry Potter, Scott. OK, just shut up. Now, as the kids are all getting sent back to their rooms, 
Harry and Ron are like, oh shit, Hermione doesn't know about the troll. She's in the bathroom crying because we fucking made fun of her. Let's go find her. And as she comes out, what's in the bathroom? The troll. Ah. Hermione's pretty scared shitless in the corner. So Harry and Ron are like throwing rocks at it. They're jumping on the thing, trying to distract it from Hermione. And then Ron uses the Leviosa trick to get the troll's little club to float up in the air above him and then it falls and hits him on the head and knocks him out so they use the power of magic to save the day and of course mcconical comes in and goes oh a first year taking on the troll is highly unlikely but oh my god miss granger for trying to run off after the troll you lose five points for gryffindor well harry and ron you each get five points yeah and also harry notices because Snape is also there. All the teachers are crowded in this little bathroom and Harry notices that Snape's leg is bleeding. So because of this, he comes to the obvious conclusion that Snape let the troll in as a distraction to try and get past the three-headed dog. And Harry's telling Hermione all this and Hermione's like, well, why would he even try to get past that dog? Like, what's it guarding? And Harry tells Hermione about this secret parcel that Haggard got at the Gringotts Bank. And he comes to the conclusion that whatever that package is, it's what's being guarded by the three-headed dog. So now we cut to the first game of Quidditch. Uh, The game starts pretty normally as Harry finally sees the snitch and he starts going after. But then his broom starts going fucking nuts. Hermione looks over. And she sees Snape saying words, and she automatically says, Snape's casting a curse on Harry's broom. (gasps) I must do something. So she runs over. Harry's trying to hold on for dear life. So what does Hermione do? Bitch, you try to hurt my friend, I'm going to set your ass on fire. (laughs) Yes, she lights Snape on fire. Snape freaks out, knocks Quirrell over, and Harry's broom turns back to normal. Okay. I have a slight problem with this part because, spoiler alert, Snape isn't the bad guy in this movie. What? I know. I'm spoiling a movie that came out fucking 20 years ago. I'm so sorry. What are you talking about? It's obviously red herring. (laughs) What's annoying about this particular part is that when Snape is freaking out being on fire and all and he knocks over Quirrell, the camera kind of holds on Quirrell for a minute as he's for just a little too long yeah it it makes it a little too obvious that quarrel is important yeah i I wish they didn't do that because i mean if you've read the if you read the books before seeing the movie obviously you know that quarrel's the bad guy but if you hadn't you really had no reason at this point to suspect him until that moment so now that harry's broom is back to normal Harry and the Slytherin Seeker start going after the snitch. And they're going, they're playing the game of chicken as the snitch goes flying towards the ground. The Slytherin Seeker peels off first. Harry gets on, starts doing the surfing technique where you go to the nose of your board. where he's. Oh yeah, he's like riding it. (laughs) He's riding it and he jumps. He leaps into the air, crashes to the ground. Everyone's like, oh! ah." He stands up and he's starts looking like he's gonna be sick like he's gagging and then he spits something out and it's the snitch he he spits it into his hand and he's won the game he's won the game making the rest of the game pointless 
overall, I, I think the scene still holds up. It's still fun to watch, even though some of the CGI sequences look like it's a fucking video game cutscene. But yes, Gryffindor wins. Ah! We cut to the next scene and our trio is walking along with Hagrid. And this is one of the scenes where he's just inadvertently revealing shit about <laughs> about uh, what Fluffy is hiding. And he says, don't you worry about what Fluffy is hiding. What's down there is between Albus Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel. And the kids are like, Nicholas Flamel, eh? Uh, I should have said that. I, 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 I shouldn't have said that. Um, and you're just like, Haggard, you dumbass. What the fuck? Like, go away. Stop hanging out with the kids. Aren't you supposed to be taking care of the animals? So then we cut to Christmas break. Hermione goes over to Ron and Harry, who are playing a nice game of wizard's chess. Uh, which essentially is just regular chess, except the pieces are alive and actually like beat each other up. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Ah, uh, but Hermione's heading home for Christmas break. Ron and Harry are actually staying at the school, but Hermione says to the guys like, hey, I know we've been looking feverishly in the library for books on this Nicholas Flamel guy and we found nothing, but while I'm gone, you guys keep looking, okay? Looking, uh, Restricted section. Ooh. So as we go into Christmas, Harry receives a, a gift with a note from an anonymous person, which says, your father left this to me and I thought you should have it. Use it well. It is revealed to be an invisibility cloak. Oh. How convenient. So... We cut right to the next scene where Harry is using the cloak to get into the restricted section of the library. And unfortunately, he doesn't find anything on Nicholas Flamel. But Harry sneaks into this other room. And in this room, he finds this magical mirror called the Mirror of Erised, which is magically enchanted to when you look into it, reveal to you what you want most in the world so when harry looks into it he sees his parents and it's a very quiet scene it's really pretty heartwarming actually and it's sad but he has this uh sweet quiet moment where he kind of sees his parents really for the first time but later harry goes back to look into the mirror some more and as he's just sitting there staring into the mirror, Dumbledore pops up behind him and he's like, here again, Harry, I see you found the mirror. Uh, and he explains to him like this mirror shows you what you truly desire more than anything, but it's it's not real. Yeah, he basically says you'll go mad looking into the mirror because you'll never get what you truly want and only the people who are truly happy see themselves. So after this whole thing, we transition over into spring. Hermione's back and she has finally found in this big old heavy book of Michigas, Nicholas Flamel. And 
she explains that he is the creator of the Sorcerer's Stone. Ah. Which is an object that can make gold and can be used to create the elixir of life. She explains like Nicholas Fomel is like 600 something years old. 665 years old. Yeah. So he's been getting plenty of use out of this stone for a long time. So the kids go over to Hagrid to get more information. But when they're over there, they notice that Hagrid has this really interesting looking orb-like object. And Harry's like, what is that you have? And Ron is like, oh, I know what that is. It's a dragon's egg. How the fuck did you get that? (laughs) And Hagrid's like, oh, you know, I just won it off a stranger in a pub. (laughs) Which is totally, that totally sounds legit. (laughs) Yeah totally doesn't sound nefarious or suspicious at all the dragon egg hatches revealing a a little dragon that Hagrid names Norbert Hagrid notices that there's a little spy in their midst Draco yes Malfoy is uh, for whatever reason stalking the little trio he's spying on them and he sees the dragon and he runs off basically goes to tattle on Hagrid to McGonagall who in turn catches the trio and gives them all detention (laughs) including Draco oh yes because she turns to him and she's like oh yes Draco you also even though your intentions were so very good you were also out of bed after dark no 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 (laughs) you all lose 50 points oh yeah he that's the thing too like McGonagall takes 50 points each from Harry, Ron, and Hermione losing Gryffindor 150 points, which I think this point system is kind of bullshit, by the way. Can we just talk about this point system? Well, we'll get to the point system. We'll talk about the point system. Well, (laughs) no, the reason I say it's bullshit is because they got five points. These 11-year-old kids defeated a troll and they got 10 points for that. That's a pretty big fucking deal. But for just, you know, having a midnight stroll, they get 150 points taken away. (laughs) That seems a little like they weren't even doing anything bad. Well, they were with Hagrid. Yes, but and they get 150 points taken away. (laughs) But the whole point system is ridiculous anyway. And it continues to get even more ridiculous. Towards the end. Oh, I don't think so. I think the end is fine. We're going to get there, guys. Don't you worry. Now, we go into the detention. And essentially, it's just the kids going into the dark forest with Hagrid to do Hagrid-y things. Dumbledore literally did a whole speech about how dangerous the dark forest is. So you're going to take a bunch of 11-year-olds into the dark forest with arguably the most bumbling fucking adult in the school. (laughs) And also like the whole reason they got detention in the first place is because they were hanging out with Hagrid in the nighttime. So as detention, they're going to go hang out with Hagrid in the nighttime. Yeah. In the dark forest. To try and hunt something that's killing unicorns. Big, powerful horses with horns that kill people in secret laboratories under cabins in the woods. Sorry. What? Oh, I was like, wait, we went off topic there. So Hagrid basically pairs the kids up. Ron and Hermione, you're coming with me. 
Harry, you go with Draco off the other way. And it's like, okay, not only are you fucking taking these kids into the forest, but you're sending them off by themselves. To hunt something. It doesn't make any sense. And of course, does Hagrid find the thing? Oh, of course not. No, of course. Harry and fucking Malfoy find it. They're walking through the forest and suddenly Harry's scar starts to hurt, which... You know, in this franchise, is always a bad sign when Harry's scar starts to hurt. They see this dark hooded figure leaning over a dead unicorn, uh, presumably drinking its blood. As this hooded figure starts to approach him, Harry falls backwards but is saved at the last minute by a centaur named Friends who essentially tells Harry, listen, this forest is very dangerous. <laughs> and like we're like, as the audience, like, yeah, we fucking know, bro. But then he also drops that that was Voldemort. So Harry kind of puts two and two together. And later when he's talking to Hermione and Ron, he's like, okay, so Snape doesn't just want the Sorcerer's Stone for himself. He wants it for Voldemort so he can come back to life. And... They're all kind of shitting their pants about it. But then Hermione is like, you're forgetting one thing, Harry. Dumbledore is here. And the one person that Voldemort was most afraid of was Dumbledore. So as long as Dumbledore is here at Hogwarts, you're safe. So essentially, that means that in a later scene, Dumbledore is going to magically be gone. (laughs) In the next scene, Harry kind of has another little brain blast. And he starts storming over to Hagrid's place. Yeah, and he goes to Hagrid, he goes, the guy who gave you the dragon's egg, who was he? And he goes, ah, I don't know. Yeah, I kept his hood on the whole time. Well, did you have a conversation with him? And he's like, yeah. Uh, I told him I take care of a lot of animals. I, t- I take care of a free-headed dog. And I, I, t- I told him that if... It's a great dog, and you just play him some music, and he falls right asleep. Oh, wait, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, you think, you dumb fuck? <laughs> we can't trust you with anything. <laughs> God damn it, Hagrid. So what do the kids now do? Well, they run to go and tell Dumbledore. Exactly. And Dumbledore, of course, is gone. Yeah, McGonagall explains to them. He's like, oh, well, Dumbledore isn't here. He's gotten called to the ministry and he's in London for an unforeseeable amount of time. But someone's coming to steal the Philosopher's Stone. Sorcerer's Stone. Whatever. (laughs) When McGonagall basically rebuffs them and is like, don't you worry your pretty little heads about the stone. It's perfectly well protected. Just go away. The kids decide, well, fuck it. We're going to have to go down the damn trap door (laughs) because Snape's going to try and steal the damn stone now because Dumbledore is in here and he knows how to get down there now. So the kids wait until nighttime when everyone's asleep and they go through their common room and they're about to leave when suddenly Neville appears. I can't let you guys go. I'm going to stop you and uh, because I can't let you guys hurt Gryffindor anymore. And Hermione fucking paralyzes him. Which, fuck, man. Well, I mean, you know... 
Fuck, <laughs> man. It's it's pretty harsh, but I mean, they had to do what they had to do, okay? Fuck. So they get to Fluffy's room, and they notice that there is a harp in the room that is being magically hoodwinked to play a little tune, and Fluffy is fast asleep. They manage to get past the trap door into this next room and basically these next few scenes are just like Dante's Inferno but for kids you know <laughs> like every level is some new fuckery that they yeah. have to get through the next room is a bunch of plants that choke you if you freak out then we go into a room with a bunch of flying keys that fit this door but Harry has to get on a broomstick to grab the right key and then they get into the next room, and that's like the big one. It's a big chessboard, and essentially the kids realize they have to play across the room to get through. So Ron kind of takes control here, being their chess expert, he kind of assigns Harry and Hermione to different spots. He jumps on one of the night horses and becomes a knight, as you do. And they start playing the room. And eventually they get to a point where in order to win, Ron has to sacrifice himself. And then Harry will be free to check the king and win the game. As a kid watching this, it was super intense because Harry and Hermione are like, no, you can't sacrifice yourself. There must be another way. And Ron's like, we got to get the stone. It doesn't matter about me. And like it holds up still it's not like i still felt the intensity <laughs> i felt bad i felt bad for ron he had to sacrifice himself to you know get through it's it was it's a good fucking scene okay <laughs> don't laugh at me this movie is fucking great this, you have to admit they act it really well yeah you believe it it's not like an over-the-top like kitty like oh my god blah, blah, blah. but ron could easily jump off the horse before shh <laughs> that ruins the dramatics of it scott okay so ron does his little move the queen stabs his horse and ron goes flying and knocks himself out harry is able to go up to the king and he exclaims checkmate the two of them run over to ron who's still knocked out and hermione says okay harry you gotta go face what's next go go get snape make sure he doesn't get that stone and harry's like okay hermione you go get ron out of here and go get some help and send an owl to dumbledore yes they split up harry moves on and as he goes into the next room his scar starts hurting even more and this is where we get our big reveal he thinks he's gonna find snape standing there in the room but Oh, no, no, no. He finds Professor Quirrell. Oh, my God. So Quirrell now basically is like, I was responsible for everything. I brought the troll into the place. I was casting the curse that almost brought you off the broom. Snake was casting a counter curse. Snape was trying to save me? That's what? After we get our little villain reveal part, we see that in the room is the mirror of Erised and Quirrell is trying to use that to find the stone. But he, he looks in it and he he can't see where it is. But then you hear a, 
a disembodied voice kind of whispering get the boy yeah so coral grabs harry puts him in front of the mirror and says what do you see and it's a really cool shot how they did it you see harry in real life standing in front of the mirror and then in the reflection of the mirror you see harry reach into his pocket pull out the stone be like ha 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 and then put it back in his pocket and then real life harry feels in his pocket really quick and he's like oh shit it's actually in there <laughs> quarrel's like what do you see he goes i see me winning the the quidditch cup and the disembodied voice goes you lie and then we get the even fucking weirder reveal of quarrel taking off his turban that yeah. he wears upon his head unwrapping it and revealing on the other side of his head Voldemort's face <laughs> CGI'd on the back of Quirrell's head <laughs> and in this version of Voldemort he actually has a nose fun <sighs> fact <laughs> in all the other movies for some reason he doesn't <laughs> you don't need a nose when you're evil <laughs> All the better to smell you with, my dear. <laughs> but anywho, um, he starts talking to Harry. He tells Harry that if Harry gives him the stone that's in his pocket, he can bring his parents back. And he essentially, like Kylo Ren did with Rey, tries to get Harry to join him. <laughs> and then Harry goes, Neville! And then Voldemort screeches at Quirrell kill him and Quirrell does this like fucking weird looks very obviously like he's being pulled by fucking wires leap over through the room jumps onto Harry and starts choking him and then uh, of course Harry touches his face and it burns it burns and Quirrell's like what the fuck uh, Harry just places his hands square in the middle of Quirrell's face and just burns the holy shit out of him until he just completely turns to dust. Just as Harry thinks he's in the clear, a smoke monster form of Voldemort rises from the ashes of Quirrell's body. I didn't know this was lost. <laughs> and just like barrels through Harry. Voldemort escapes and Harry passes the fuck out. I'll be back. Oh, God. I'll be played by Ray Fiennes. <laughs> so now we cut to Harry waking up in the hospital wing at Hogwarts. And at his bedside is good old Albus Dumbledore. He explains that Ron and Hermione are just fine. Everything's okay now. He explains that the Sorcerer's Stone has now been destroyed. And Harry's like, doesn't that mean that your friend Nicholas Flamel will die now? And Dumbledore's like, yes, but we agree that it's for the best. You know, he's had a long life, so he's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> but then Harry asks, how did I get the stone in my pocket? Like, what the fuck? What was that about? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's one of my more clever tricks. Uh, the only people who could get the stone are people who were looking for it but did not want to use it. Basically a nice little sprinkle of fuckery from Dumbledore. <laughs> but then we get the most bullshit. 
I don't think it's bullshit. Uh, it's total bullshit. It's kind of like the whole we point of the. No, we wrote ourselves into a corner. No. We didn't know how to uh, get ourselves out of this corner. I don't think that's... I think that's the whole... Uh, let's explain it. So, last but not least, Harry wants to know why when he touched Quirrell, he was burning him. Like, what the fuck? And then Dumbledore explains that back when he was a baby and his parents died, particularly his mother, his mother died as she was protecting Harry from Voldemort so because of that sacrifice it left a a mark or a protection over Harry this kind of mark cannot be seen it lives in your very skin what is it love Harry love love saves the day all you need is love it's Moulin Rouge essentially just with magic okay it's all bullshit. <laughs> How fucking dare you? A mother's love saves the day, okay? Shut the fuck up. So after Harry is all better, he reunites with Ron and Hermione, and they go off to the last dinner at Hogwarts in the big great hall, and Dumbledore is at the front of the hall, and he is getting ready to award the house cup which just, I don't know if we mentioned this, but like all these points that are given out to the different houses are bullshit, according to Scott. But they all lead up to this big ceremony at the end of the year. Whichever house has the most points at the end of the year wins the house cup. Now, at this point, Dumbledore explains that Gryffindor is in last place because our trio fucking lost them like a bajillion points over this year with their fucking nonsense and Slytherin is in first place and is on their way to winning the house cup but Dumbledore has some post credit points to award (laughs) post credit points let's see let's go down the list here Hermione for her incredible intellect wins Gryffindor 50 points Ron for playing the best wizard chess game ever in creation wins Gryffindor another 50 points. Harry Potter for pure love and outstanding courage, quote unquote, wins the house 60 points. And now Gryffindor is tied with Slytherin. But we have one more student who gets awarded some post credit points, as Scott calls them. Neville Longbottom, for standing up to his friends, wins Gryffindor 10 points, winning Gryffindor the House Cup, which is a great moment because Neville up to this point has been like this bumbling, stumbling, accident prone, forgetful fool. But he gets like his moment to shine when the whole house is like, yay, you want us the cup, Neville? And he looks like totally like deer in the headlights like what (laughs) draco throws down his hat yeah draco's pissed (laughs) because you know what this is nonsense these fucking gryffindors with their valiance and courage fuck them (laughs) i would like to say this was rigged i i listen this is a satisfying moment okay (laughs) rigged from the beginning whatever be fucking jealous you slytherin I'm a puff. I I go to last place. So I'm even more upset. 
Well, too bad, so sad. The puffs are treated poorly in this situation. The puffs are treated poorly in pretty much every situation. Like, people kind of shit on the puffs more than really Slytherin. Because at least Slytherin has, like, the badass, cunning reputation. Hufflepuff basically has a a reputation of being silly. (laughs) How dare you? Okay, that's fine. (laughs) But, um, yeah, Gryffindor wins. Hooray, hurrah. A great end to the first year at Hogwarts for Harry Potter. All the kids are getting on the train to go home for the summer. Harry says goodbye to Hagrid and he ends up giving Harry this magical photo album with all these moving pictures of his parents. And it's really sweet. He gives Hagrid a big old hug. Thanks for revealing all these school secrets to us, Hagrid. We couldn't have done it without you. (laughs) No, we couldn't have. Also, neither could Voldemort, but you know. But then Hagrid kind of tops off the kind of not great idea train by (laughs) suggesting that Harry threaten his cousin Dudley who Hagrid mind you already deformed in the beginning of the movie with magic so he decides to tell Harry you know if Dudley is getting on your case maybe exploit the the trauma that I inflicted on him and threaten him with magic and Harry's like oh but we can't use magic outside of Hogwarts Hagrid you know that but he doesn't oh Oh, great Hagrid's suggesting traumatizing and threatening a small child (laughs) tell them they should give you a room too (laughs) Harry Ron and Hermione are getting on the train and Hermione's like oh it's weird after all this going home isn't it and Harry's like well I'm not really going home Hogwarts is my home now Just stay there. Don't Mind go back. You, I mean, do you? I mean, maybe he's used to being in constant peril because he lived in the Dursleys' house, so he's used to like living in a fucking dangerous environment. But like, yeah, I don't think home is supposed to make you feel threatened and in danger on a constant basis. Ah, uh, home sweet home, under the staircase. <laughs> Uh, either under the staircase or under a giant enchanted castle with three-headed dogs and And trees that try and kill you. Yeah, like, (laughs) you can't win either way. (laughs) But, um, yeah, with John Williams' amazing score taking us out, we end the first year at Hogwarts and the first movie of Harry Potter. (laughs) Ba-ba-bum. So... Scott. Yes. How did you rate this movie on Letterboxd? I have this movie as a four out of five. Okay. I I do think it is a fun kids movie. There are some fun moments in it. The three of them are pretty good. And it's like, I like, again, I always like Fluffy. (laughs) It's a a fun, goofy movie. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with all that. I think it... It does a good job at balancing the goofy stuff with kind of the darker stuff and the adventure stuff. It it's it's kind of something for everybody in here. Like it's definitely one of those movies like you know how for certain trailers or commercials for movies they're like, "Oh, fun for the whole family." I think this is a great example of a movie that's actually fun for the whole family cuz you can enjoy it as a kid or as an adult. That is very true. I.e. me. <laughs> because I 
have this movie rated as a five out of five. I absolutely love it. Uh, I love the book that it's based on. It's one of my favorite books of all time. The movie, like I said, stays pretty true to the book. Um, and sometimes even when you do book adaptations that stay super true to the book, there are problems with that too. Like, but this movie I think does an amazing job at adapting the book. It just makes me excited to continue with the series. So it does its job. Shall be interesting. So next week, Scott will be introducing me to a movie that is particularly important to him with another pretty iconic character. Indeed. Uh, But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our fabulous, splendiferous, high-flying movie adventure. I've got the magic in me Every time I touch that track it turns into gold Now every